If you've got a, a copy of God's Word, I want you to hold your place today in Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. I want you to hold your place there. Now, last week I talked a little bit about freedom in Christ. I'm going to talk a little bit more about that today, but in a little bit different context of understanding what our role is in helping other people find that freedom. And uh, again, I said last week, and I'll say it again this morning, we really can't exhaust uh, the entire conversation of freedom that God, that God sent His Son Jesus and that Jesus came to bring. Uh, I think sometimes we live at a level in Christianity below what God intends. I mean, when we think about the God who created the universe and we think about Jesus who died and rose again and we think about the power of the Holy Spirit that raised Him to life, when we think about all of that alone and that same God is at work in us, I mean, do we maybe minimize sometimes what God really wants to do in us? And how he wants to set us free and heal us and help us and strengthen us. There's so many great things that God wants to do. And I think it comes down to us yielding to him and inviting him to do his work in us. Would you stand with me for just a moment? We're going to pray. And part of this is just to help keep you awake this morning. So, No, we're going to pray. And uh, we're going to pick up, do a quick review from last week together. And then I want to I share some thoughts with you today before we're done. Father, thank you for your word. We do not take lightly that we have your word to us, and we want to hear it, and we want to live it. And God, I pray today that you would speak to those who need to hear, uh, help us to have listening ears, oh God, that don't just hear a message, that don't just hear this moment, but Lord, that truly have hearts that are attentive to receive and to absorb, oh God. Let us be... Let us be, O oh God, uh, people who are eager to learn and to grow with you, O oh God. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. We thank you today, as Pastor Cynthia said earlier, that we have come from death to life. Death to life. We thank you for that, O oh God, and we celebrate that today. And I pray it just be a wonderful day of love between us, your Holy Spirit at work, celebrating those who are new in you, uh, that it be just a wonderful day, God, of time together, and that we would just have this great sense that you're working in all of us. We thank you for that, Lord, and we pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Turn to your neighbor and say good morning to them. And... Uh, Maybe give them a good compliment that they haven't heard yet this morning. Use your minds, your creativity. Some of you are struggling to get awake, I can tell, this morning. We serve coffee between services in case anybody needs it, just so you know. So last week we, we were in Luke chapter 4. Hold your place in Matthew 9. We're going to get there in just a moment. Last week we were in Luke chapter 4, and let me just read a couple of verses from there. Luke four eighteen and 19, "...the Spirit of the Lord is on me." Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. This is Jesus speaking. He has sent me to proclaim freedom from the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, Jesus in Luke 4 is 
unrolling the scroll from Isaiah 61 in the synagogue, and he found this passage of Scripture and read it, and then he sat down to teach, and he began by saying, today, this is fulfilled in your hearing. This is fulfilled in your lives. I am the one Isaiah spoke about. Even though there was re uh, reference and context to what was happening during that time for the people of Israel, ultimately, Isaiah was speaking hundreds of years before towards Jesus who would come to bring liberty. And again, I think when we talk about salvation, we don't, we don't sometimes fully grasp and fully hold on to the realities of freedom in Christ and how he came not just to set us free from sin, and not just to set us free from sin's power, but to set us free from condemnation and guilt, to set us free from our wounds and our hurts and our heartaches and our habits and our hang-ups. God came to bring, Jesus in the flesh came to bring freedom. And Jesus is the key that has unlocked the prison door so that people can be set free. And I said last week at the beginning, it would be a shame for people to miss the opportunity for freedom, especially when that opportunity, when Jesus is right in front of them. And that was the point in the synagogue. That was the point with the religious people of that day. Here's Jesus right in front of them. Here's Jesus, the Messiah that God has told them about since the beginning of time. And yet they reject the very one who they needed the most. They rejected Jesus, and we don't do that in our lives. Instead, we do the opposite. We invite him to come in, search our hearts, test us, know our anxious thoughts, see if there's a, any offensive way in me, and lead me on the path everlasting. Psalm 139, 23, and 24. We want to be a people who are, are living for God, and there's nothing in our lives that would hinder that. And so last week, we focused on the freedom needed in the lives of Jesus followers, how after salvation, God is still at work in our lives. How many of you, when you got saved, you became perfect immediately? I, I saw one hand, and the one hand I saw, the wife punched him in the ribs. If you didn't, you should have. No, uh, that was a good opportunity right there, right? Uh, the, the reality is, when we get saved, we are we are positionally seated with Christ, we are in Christ, but there's an ongoing work, if we're honest, of changing and transforming our lives so that our behavior and our character and our words and our actions and our thoughts line up more with Christ and His Word. Uh, it, it is an ongoing, lifelong process. Now, we grow, and surely six months, a year, six years, 12 years from now, so on and so forth, we should be able that there's fruit in our lives, that we are clearly maturing. We're told in Scripture to go on to maturity, to not just live at the beginning level, to not just be a people who live on the milk, but get to the meat, things of that nature in Scripture. But the reality is that we will not have perfection until we're with Jesus. This is an ongoing journey, and we compared it to the idea of an onion last week. Anybody had any onions this week? Yeah, yeah. I don't think I got a warning from my wife this week about onions. Do you remember last week I told you, if my wife goes to eat onions, she will tell me? That way I know what to expect. Uh, I, and basically, it's a way of telling me, go ahead and eat onions yourself, because you're going to get onion breath one way or the other, right? And I said, yes, I'm a pastor, and I still kiss my wife, too. So anyway, uh, but the onion, that idea, if you've ever used an onion, there's, there's kind of layers to this onion. 
And uh, it's smelly, and oftentimes on the physical sense, when you begin to cut an onion and prepare a dish with onions, you kind of begin to get watery-eyed, right? And in our lives, as God's peeling back that onion, as God's dealing with the issues in us and freeing us from all these things, there, there's some stinky spots in our lives, and sometimes it even means there's some tears because God is growing us, and, and growth can be painful at times, but God is revealing these things and then transforming and helping us to grow to be more like Him and not to live as the same person we used to be. And so I want to challenge you today. If you're in a spot where maybe you feel like you're struggling to overcome something in your life, uh, if you're in a spot where you're really having a hard time forgiving someone who wounded you, uh, maybe even someone who said they loved you but they, they wounded you in the process, we could go down the list of possibilities. Today, my encouragement to you is to yield to God. It's to say, God, you know what? This is an area in my life I'm struggling. This is an area in my life that I haven't gotten right. Or this is an area in my life that I'm struggling to let go of something because I don't believe you'll be able to do it on your own. I do believe we need the help of Jesus and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The only way that we're going to forgive people, the only way that we're going to overcome sin, the only way that we're going to live this freedom is as we are found to be in Jesus That's why he said in John 15, remain or dwell in me or abide in me. It's only with his work in our lives that there is a fruit that is yielded. On our own, we are not enough. Now, I say that very intentionally because our society teaches us to kind of find this greater inner person within us. And I'm telling you, We've proven many, many times that we're not the greater inside of us. We need a greater to work in us. So yield to the Lord and let Him work. Now, I think we all know today that there are so many people in our world who are not following Jesus. Let's, let's change the conversation a little bit today. As Jesus followers, we're yielding to God and we're saying, God, refine us, prune us, change our lives. But there are so many people in the world today who are not following Jesus, and they need freedom, whether they realize it or not. Now, Scripture teaches us that some of these individuals are people who once followed Jesus, but they've been lured away, whether by temptation, false teaching, uh, so on and the like. First Timothy chapter 4, we're going to get to Matthew 9. I didn't lie to you, I promise. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 says, The Spirit, notice what Paul says. Now, this is way in advance. Think about this. The Spirit is giving him revelation of what is to come in this moment. The Spirit clearly says that in later times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. Now, I I came across this again in study, and I got to tell you, when I read this, I grieve over it. Because we're not talking about people who 
don't know the truth. We're not talking about people who haven't followed Jesus. We're talking about people who are following Jesus and get pulled away from the truth. They begin to embrace the lies of the enemy. I mean, that's the work of the enemy ultimately, right? He wants to create doubt in your mind and in your heart about the Word of God. The enemy... The devil is not just a figure of our imagination or just some symbol that's created to represent evil. Scripture says, Jesus himself said that the enemy, the devil, is out to steal and to kill and destroy. The Apostle Paul who wrote in 1 Timothy also wrote in Ephesians chapter 6 that the enemy deploys schemes. And, and if you think about a scheme, I think about this idea of a spider web. Very complex, right? It's all woven together, but it's very intricately detailed. I mean, honestly, other than not liking spiders, it's really beautiful, right? I have three girls at home, and well, and my wife, and that makes four, by the way. Four to one if you want to pray for anybody anytime. That'd be great. If there's a spider in our place, guess who's going to get the call? Me. I'm going to do the same thing they could do. Take the shoe and hit the spider. Pick it up with the paper towel. Throw it in the trash. It's the same thing. But there's something about it, right? But in reality, although we may not like spiders, the, the web is really beautiful. But in this case, what Paul is saying is the enemy is at work in so many different connected ways and schemes to try to pull people off the right path. And, and the enemy will attempt to lure people away, or he will walk through any door that's opened in our lives. And, and it's not always blatant. Here's what I want you to realize. I think when we talk about the last days and we talk about the enemy's deception and we talk about people being lured away, I think we think of, of people that just, I mean, something totally switched in them and, and gosh, how could they go off and just all of a sudden do this? I would tell you it's not an all of a sudden thing. It's a fade. It's a slow drift that in our own, we're all going to drift that way if we're not careful. That's why we have to be committed to the Word of God and have to walk closely with Jesus. I hope you're hearing what I'm saying this morning. We've got to pay attention to what God is saying. Because in Genesis chapter 3, this very same thing of the enemy, it's the same thing he's always done. He comes to Adam and Eve, and, and ultimately Eve in this moment, and he says to her, did God really say... The ultimate work of the enemy, trying to convince you to doubt the Word of God, to doubt His promises, to doubt what work He's done in your life and what work He wants to do in your life and how He promised to be with you and keep you and change you. He's wanting to get people to begin to have doubt regarding the Word of God. And it doesn't just go from one thing to the other. It's a slow fade away where we begin to discredit the Word of God. Well, there were men involved who wrote it or all these different things we see playing out in our society. And then we get to this idea idea of deconstructing faith and if you take take it down and make sure you believe it for the right reasons that's great but what I see a lot of times is people are doing all of this and tearing down what they've believed all of their life and they end up not believing anymore there's a a hole there there's doubt that's coming in and people are not believing the word of God and if you don't believe the word of God what do you have to stand on when things are crazy when the world is can we just call it what it, a hot mess? I mean, really? Where do you stand? What do you hold on to? And if it's not the truth of God, then what is it? 
So that's where the enemy is at work. So some people have followed Jesus, but they've been lured away, and now they're in deception and in captivity because they're not following the truth of God. And Jude writes in that one short chapter that we're to save some by snatching them from the fire. It's this idea that our goal and our hope is to go to that brother and sister and say, wait a minute. You, you're not believing God in this. You're, you're, you're taking the word of God and, and just discarding it and throwing it to the side in your life. You're being pulled the wrong direction. God is, wants us to help them to, to come back to that center place, that place of God's word and follow God. But there, there are many, I'm telling you, in this world we're living right now, there are many people who are being lured away by the lies of the enemy. You probably have family members, friends, co-workers that are living in that. And I'll go one step further. I just want to caution you. Please hear this pastor's heart today. I just want to caution you. Please don't just take everyone who calls themselves a preacher, a teacher, a pastor, a prophet, or whatever else. Please don't just take their words to heart without judging it by the Scripture. I've said before, I used to think that my concern was spiritual codependency in that people would come to a church on a Sunday and they would hear a message from the Word of God and that would be the only Bible they got that week. Now, that has shifted. I think there can still be some spiritual codependency. And what I mean by that is I don't want to depend on everybody else to hear the voice of God in my life. I want to learn to hear the voice of God in my own life. That doesn't mean there aren't confirmations. That doesn't mean there aren't spiritual giftings. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not downplaying those things. I'm simply saying we are not required. You, you don't have to go through me to know God. You know that, hopefully. You don't have to go through me to know God. When Jesus died on the cross, the access to the throne room of God is made possible for anyone who believes and follows Jesus. So now you can know God for yourself. But now I am concerned when it comes to spiritual codependency or all the voices that can be allowed with the, with the advancement of the internet and everybody with a camera thinks they need to do a video podcast and everybody wants to be a YouTube star and everybody wants to use social media. Everybody's got a word. Everybody's got a word. You need to check what's being said in the name of Jesus by his word. And if it doesn't align with the word of God, you need to throw it away. You need to quit listening. You need to, I mean, I would say to people who, who and I'm not, I don't think that everybody's going to see this to a point that I think I'm going to make some big splash with this, but if people are in a church today and what's being said is not in alignment with the word of God, you need to watch out. It is so important in these days because Scripture teaches us that in the last days, if not careful, even those of the elect, even those who are Jesus' followers, can be lured away, can be deceived. The enemy doesn't come with horns and a pitchfork and a spiky tail. He just wants to create some doubt in your heart regarding the Word of God. And if he can get in there with even a small seed... He will attempt to lure you away from the truth of God's Word. I know this, this might even sound old school to somebody, but I'm, I guess I'm just old school if that's the case. Please don't let go of the Word of God. Please hold on to the Word of God. I've seen people 
of all sorts of different ages, people that I know personally who had a call to even vocational ministry and they've thrown it away because somewhere along the way they got caught up believing the lies. And they're everywhere in our culture. So you've got some who have followed Jesus and been lured away and then you have others who have never followed Jesus. I know this is hard for us to sometimes grasp because many of us in the room, many of us online today at EPAG may be people who grew up in church or at least have been exposed to church. We've been exposed to Scripture. We've been exposed to the conversation about Jesus and the good news of the gospel. Many of us have have got some context, some understanding, maybe even been saved, maybe even made the decision to follow Jesus. But there are a lot of people in our world, and I'm going to tell you it's not just in foreign countries. There are a lot of people in our world today, even right here in our own front yard, who've not heard the name of Jesus, who's not heard the good news of the gospel, who've never stepped foot inside of a church, dare less been part of a Christ-centered community in a healthy way. There are so many people who have done life without God, and today they're saying, well, why do I need God now? I've been doing it this way all along. There are people who've never made the decision to follow Jesus. And this verse of Scripture from Romans chapter 5 describes their lives. Look at this. Romans chapter 5 verse 12. Just as sin entered the world through one man, that would be Adam, and death through sin. So death was the consequence of sin. Ultimately, death being the consequence of sin. And in this way, death came to all people because all have sinned. So what, what are we saying here? Everyone is born under this curse of sin, and if someone has not made the decision to follow Jesus, last week we talked about how the work of God, and if we're found to be in Jesus, that work of Jesus frees us from not only our guilt of sin, but frees us from the power and obligation to sin. We're set free that sin can't force us to do anything. The enemy can't force us to do anything. We are now indwelled with the Holy Spirit to live under to God to say no to the world, no to the enemy, no to the flesh, dying to self, and to say yes to Jesus. Well, those people who've never made a decision to follow Jesus have never had a change in their life. So they are experiencing the curse of sin and ultimately are still destined for eternal separation from God, death through sin, Everyone is in this same boat without Jesus because everyone has sinned and falls short of the glory of God. So if someone's not made the decision to follow Jesus, they are still living under the curse of sin. And Scripture teaches us that that means the old life has not been crucified. Later today, we will participate and celebrate those who have made this decision to follow Jesus. Water baptism itself is symbolic of the inward work of God in a life. The, dead, the, the old life dies. The new life is raised in Christ. We don't live like we used to live because the old self is dead. And how can an old self live to those things? But instead, we're raised to new life in Christ. But someone who's never made a decision to follow Jesus and never been saved, they're still dead in their transgressions and sins. And ultimately, Scripture teaches they, if there's not change in their life, they will be separated from God for eternity in a place called hell that was intended for the devil and the demonic powers at the end of time. 
I hope this grips you today. I mean, that's the point, shouldn't it? I, I, I don't think, I don't know if we spend enough time thinking about the reality of eternity. Here's, here's the way I can describe it to kind of help us see it, maybe in a picture. Uh, the first picture is that you and I, as Jesus followers, live in two worlds. We still live in the flesh, but it doesn't have the same power over us after we get saved. But then we're also living with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So we're still living in the physical world, but we have the power of God at work in our lives to help us overcome the flesh. You with me? So we're living in two worlds, but we have the power of God at work in our lives. Well, those who are not following Jesus, the next picture, there is no godly influence. There is no power of God. There is no help. There is no advocate at work pointing people to the truth. There's no resistance to help the, against the flesh, the enemy, and the world's influence. So if you wonder why we see so much of what we're seeing in our world today, this is it. There is no Holy Spirit at work in their lives. Paul would write in one place that, that we are to stand firm uh, instead of being like this crooked and perverse generation. Why? Well, there's nothing combating it. There's no other power at work. Now, when you take all of this into context, hopefully it helps us in our perspective towards lost people. Go with me to that spot in Matthew 9 that I told you we were going to. This is not an unfamiliar passage of Scripture. You could probably quote it. I've shared a few of these verses before in previous messages, but these verses help us connect the dots today. Matthew chapter 9, I want to pick up in verse 35 because the question is, if there are people who do not have freedom, people who are not following Jesus, who are living under only the power of flesh and the devil in the world, then what do we do? How do we respond? I want you to look at the example of Jesus with me for a moment. Matthew 9 verse 35, Jesus went through all the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. All right, let me draw out a few things from these couple of verses real quick. Number one, Jesus didn't live apart from the people in the towns and villages. So Jesus was in the synagogues. We see that here in Matthew 9. We also see, according to other scriptures, that Jesus was not just in the synagogues, he also was in the streets. That's, I, I could preach a whole moment right there. Because if our religion ain't doing nothing more than just coming to the synagogue, we've missed the whole point. We've missed the whole point. Jesus was in the synagogues. He reached to this people, the Jewish people, the religious people who had the truth of God, who knew the promise of Messiah, and yet they were the ones that rejected. But as Jesus went along throughout the rest of his ministry, he interacted with all sorts of people, including the people that were considered outcasts and the least of these in society. I'll go a step further. Opposition. Jesus faced a lot of bit, uh, quite a bit of opposition, but opposition did not stop Jesus from being about the Father's business. He had a focus. In fact, there's a spot in Luke where Luke's gospel kind of turns and shifts and starts to point towards the cross where Jesus died. And it says, Jesus set his face resolutely towards Jerusalem. There was a focus for Jesus. He came to bring freedom. Freedom through the cross. Freedom through the death and resurrection that he would live. 
And he was focused on that mission. And even when the religious people were out to get him and to try to trap him and to do all of these things, and even when they wanted to take his life, and they were plotting pretty early on in his ministry to take him out, even in the middle of all of that, opposition did not stop Jesus from being about the Father's business. Now, you and I are to be in the world and not of the world. And remember, because we have the work of the Holy Spirit happening in our hearts. And while we put ourselves in Christ-centered community, what I also want us to recognize this morning is that we need to be careful in our world that feels like every day it's deteriorating. We need to be careful in our world not to isolate to the point that we never interact with someone who's not following Jesus. Secondly, we see in Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 and 36, that Jesus had compassion on the crowds. Jesus had compassion on the crowds. The word compassion here, uh, or, or one translation reads it as, he was moved with compassion. It's one of the strongest expressions in the original Greek language that can be used to talk about compassion. And other than the reference in some of the parables, this word for compassion is only used in the New Testament to describe Jesus. And when you study the word, you'll find that it's a deep inward movement, literally, not to gross you out today, but it literally means the bowels turn. Deep inward movement towards others. Now, it's one thing to have sympathy on people. It's one thing to have pity towards people and say, man, they're in a tough spot. Man, that's not good. Man, I I hate that they're having to go through this. But more than that, this type of compassion moves from just seeing the problem to doing something about it. I moved so inwardly that I must take action. Now, why did Jesus have compassion on the crowds? Matthew 9 tells us that these people were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Now, let me quickly tell you that in this context, this goes all the way back into the Old Testament. Jesus actually, in referencing this type phrasing, is going back to reference Ezekiel chapter 34, verses 1 through 6 and beyond. He's connecting back to what God was telling the people of Israel in the Old Testament. Listen to this real quick. Ezekiel 34, verse 1, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel... Prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to you, shepherds of Israel, who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds and you clothe yourselves with wool and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. Are you seeing any words in here that remind you of anything even in the New Testament or remind you of a person who came on the scene on this earth? So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep wandered all over the mountains and on every high hill, and they were scattered over the whole earth, and no one searched or looked for them. So here's the greatest context in Matthew 9 of what's happening. 
Jesus is in the synagogues teaching, and he's pointing out to the religious leaders who were supposed to be shepherding the people, who were supposed to be leading them and caring for them and helping them. He's pointing out to them, here you are, and you're the ones that are supposed to know God's word, and you're supposed to lead people in the ways of God, but instead, you're making it harder for people to follow God, and you're adding your own tradition and your own requirements to how to follow the law of God. You're supposed to be shepherding the people, caring for them, leading for them, protecting them, but instead, religious leaders, you're more in this for yourself. I said earlier that you need to be cautious about the voices that you listen to. I got to tell you, there are some people who are just like the religious leaders of the day. They're more interested in how much money you give them than they are about taking care of sheep. Take it for what it's worth. I just happen to have the microphone this morning, I guess. If you've ever studied what it means to be a shepherd, then you know that a shepherd, number one, is near to the sheep. He's with them. He's with the sheep. Secondly, he takes care of the sheep, and we don't have time to get into all of that, but there's a list of things that the shepherd would do to take care of the sheep. The shepherd guides the sheep, and the shepherd ultimately is not just a hireling who runs when there's trouble. The shepherd stays there to protect the sheep from harm. Think about it in this passage of Scripture that we often wait to read at a graveside when it should be the description of our life and Jesus leading us. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy or goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, we wait and read that about him comforting us when we lose a loved one. But Psalm 23 is not just for the day of a funeral. Psalm 23 is about life in Christ. He is our shepherd. And a shepherd is near the sheep and takes care of the sheep and guides the sheep and protects the sheep from harm. That's why in John chapter 10 verse 11, not only did Jesus say in that same chapter that I am the gate for the sheep, but then he said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now, if you've been able to track with me this long, let me connect it. Now imagine someone who is not following Jesus. They have no shepherd. The leading of their lives is left to their self-determination, to the work of the enemy, and to the philosophies of our world. Jesus is the good shepherd who laid down his life for all people, for all sheep, and he wants every sheep to welcome him. He wants every life to welcome him, that he might lead their lives, and there's no greater shepherd than Jesus. People need the freedom that only comes through Jesus. But people are wandering. They're lost. They're like sheep without a shepherd. And a lot of them don't even realize it. 
Notice in Matthew chapter 9 that the need in this world will only be met with more laborers. Say that one more time. Notice in Matthew chapter 9 that the need in this world will only be met with more laborers. We've just spent a chunk of time in the last several weeks talking about how we are now entrusted with the work of Jesus. There is no plan B. The gospel is the hope of the world, and the church, you and I, are the hope of the gospel. So notice what Jesus says in Matthew 9 to the disciples. He said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. So here's what Jesus did. I love Jesus' model of ministry. I love it. Because here's what he did. This is what you should do. I'm going to show you how it's done. And then I'm going to send you to do it. Are you with me? I'm going to teach you. So there's going to be words that speak to you learning what I'm trying to do. Then I'm going to model it. I'm going to show you what it looks like to live this way. And then I'm going to commission or send you to do what I've told you and shown you to do. Matthew chapter 9, he has this conversation with the disciples. He's modeling attention to people and compassion for people and ministry to the people around him. And then one chapter later, Matthew chapter 10, what does he do? He sends out his disciples to do what he'd modeled. Fast forward to 2023, and now he's looking to us. He's told us how to live. He's modeled for us how to live, even with people who have been deceived and lured away, even with people who have no shepherd in their lives and they're lost and they're in bondage and they're wandering and they need Jesus. He's shown us what to do and now he's sending us into the world to do it. If you're like me, you recognize that the need in our world is so great. As much as I grieve the impact of sin on humanity through physical suffering, and I hate to hear people are sick. Just this week, I learned of a, a former parishioner, a friend of mine who, who has been diagnosed with cancer. I hate it. I hate it. But even more so, I grieve with the reality that people could die and be separated from God for eternity. It's one thing to suffer in this life and have to go through some things and face the darkest valleys, and, but at least you have confidence, you have hope of what's ahead, that this isn't permanent, this is just temporary, and, and that the things that are happening temporarily can't compare to the glory that's going to be permanent for eternity. But there are other people, not only are they dealing with this life, but they don't have any hope for the future. No confidence, no hope, no promises to lean on. I grieve that people are sheep without the great shepherd who loves them so much and laid down his life for them. So what do we do? Number one, we must remember our purpose as the church. We got to remember our purpose as the church. We are God's plan. Secondly, we must interact with our world Please, hear me, Christians. Hear me, Jesus followers. I understand it can be 
It can be troubling and it can be tiresome. It can be weary. Uh, There's a lot of things about our world today that make it a little complex to, to interact with people and to try to talk about the truth and At the same time, what I don't want us to do is get to this point where all we know how to do as Christians is to isolate from the culture around us and to hunker down and bunker down and pull back to the point that we have no opportunity to interact and influence people who need Jesus. That we just hide out till Jesus comes. Make prayerful, wise decisions for your families. Be cautious about the influence that are are allowed into your life. I'm not suggesting that you should immerse yourself in the culture. That's opposite of Scripture. But at the same time, uh, don't miss opportunities to be with the people around you. I'm 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 not saying today that you should grow so numb and apathetic to the world that you start to look like it. But I am saying as you are going about doing life, don't miss the opportunities that God can give us to help see someone be set free. Thirdly, we must be moved with compassion. I understand. I see so many Jesus followers who are bothered and upset about the condition of our world. But I've seen some, in the name of Jesus, go so far with their expressions of being frustrated with what's happening that their righteous anger begins to look more like worldly anger. And I've seen some give up hope on the culture and the people around them, and they can't even be confident that God can still save and still change people no matter where they are in this life. And I've heard conversations with people who are Jesus followers, and they're not seasoned with salt. They're not creating a thirst for Jesus. They're creating a a repelling of religion altogether. Listen to me. Let me say it as plainly as I know how for really quick. Get mad at the devil and get mad at evil, but not at the souls that matter to God. Get mad at the devil. Be upset about sin. Uh, when, When Jesus himself wept in Scripture, he was weeping over the condition of the religious people and the reality of sin. Get mad at the devil. Get mad at evil. Get mad at the reality of sin. But don't get mad at the people you're trying to win to Jesus. And then lastly, we must be part of the solution. Let me, let me have a really strong confession point to you this morning. Transparent as I know how. I don't always feel like I can solve everybody's problems. You ever been there? I don't always feel like I can solve everybody's problems. In fact, I've interacted with people in this very idea of of reaching people and being attentive to people and being compassionate towards people. Listen, it's a complicated world, and we've got some complicated issues going on. People are involved, and souls are at stake, and it's, it's a mess. And the more we reach people and the more we're intentional to be Jesus' hands and feet extended, the more messy it'll be. I mean, you're not going to see people who are in bondage come into the church without baggage. You've had some baggage before, huh? Jesus helped set you free, right? So, so you're going to deal with all that. It's a complicated world with complicated issues and people are involved and souls are at stake and the temptation can be to just, just pull back from it all, but instead we can get involved. Number one, we can pray. My God, I beg of you, pray for lost souls. Pray for lost souls. 
Pray for open eyes to the truth. Pray for open hearts and open ears that will receive the truth. Understand that as we go into these conversations, the Holy Spirit can be at work on the other side of this too, preparing those hearts to receive the truth. We can live a Christ-like life. It does no good for our testimony in pointing people to Jesus if we're living just like the world around us. We want to be empowered by the Holy Spirit and live a life unto God. We can believe and look for opportunities as we live each day. We can go about our business and say, you know what, I got a lot to get done today. But in the middle of all of it, God can interrupt at any moment that he wants to. And he can use me to reach somebody for him. Somebody can be set free. Somebody can be delivered. They can come out of that sinful life and know what it means to be found in Jesus. We can share the good news and the gospel and the truth about Jesus. Listen, I don't always feel like I can solve everything. But what I'm finding more and more and what I've found throughout years of ministry is this. If I can get people to Jesus. If I can point people and lead people to Jesus. For the scripture says that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And the Bible says in John 8, 32 that the truth shall set you Free And John 8.36, just a few verses later, says, And who the Son sets free is free indeed. So I may not be able to figure it all out on my own, but if I can get people to Jesus, they can be free and their lives can be changed forever. Would you stand with me today all over this room? I'm going to ask our prayer team members. Prayer team members, would you come and make yourself available today? Either side of the auditorium today, in just a moment, I'm going to pray over you, and you're going to have opportunity to come forward and pray with these prayer team members that are making their way here. Our leaders that are here, they'll pray with you. They'll encourage you. They'll talk with you about what it means to follow Jesus and lead you in making that decision. If you want to do that today, if you're where you say, I need Jesus in my life. They'll pray with you for needs that you're facing. They'll be happy to serve you today. I want to lead us in a moment of prayer, and then I'm going to pray our dismissal. And I would ask today that you would just join with me in sincerity before God to say, God, not only do I want to continue to walk in that freedom in you, but I want other people to know that freedom. People who are lost, people who are wandering, people who... People who are just caught up and deceived and wrapped up in all the wrong things. That we could pray sincerely before God. God, I want to see people set free. We're the church. And God, we want to see people set free. Would you pray with me? We, we pray, Lord God, today and we thank you for your word. We thank you for the challenge of your word, O oh Lord, to us today. And I just pray, oh God, when we pray together, God, help us to remember our purpose. That as we're going, as we're living, as we're doing, as we're working, as we're connecting with people, God, to remember our purpose. That, Lord, you can work through us. We invite you to do do your work through us. Holy Spirit, empower us and help us. Equip us to... Have these conversations with others, Lord. I pray, O oh God, that we be moved with compassion for the lost. To realize that eternity can 
can begin at any moment for any person. To recognize, oh God, that that people just being good people or people just doing a lot of good things, that that doesn't change it, Lord. But that, that we would recognize, Lord, that without you, they're lost. Oh God, that we would have compassion. Lord, that we would we would have sensitivity towards the lost. And Lord, that also, Holy Spirit, you would be at work in in hearts of people who haven't made a decision to follow you. And and today, God, they would have eyes that are open and hearts that are open and ears that are attentive, oh God. Even if it comes through a a crisis or or a significant moment in their lives where they're recognizing they're at the end of themselves, I just pray, God, more than anything, they would have awareness of their need for you. We too, God, every day, that we would never drift, that we would never get caught up in fading away. But Lord, we would recognize every day we need you. God, we pray for the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. That we would be equipped and empowered to be witnesses, O Lord, in this world. We recognize in ourselves we could be tempted to to crouch back in fear or doubt or some other struggle, Lord. We could be tempted to think that the problem is too big, but Holy Spirit, lead us into all truth and remind us of your power and equip us, Lord, to be about the Father's business. Let us not lose sight today. May we be a people who cling to your word ourselves and walk closely with you, O God. And may we be a people that your heart will become our heart and our heart's desires will be transformed to be your heart's desires. And Lord, we will see that there are people lost that you love and you died for. And we will do what we can, Lord, in your power to help others know you. Thank you, God that the truth sets us free and that we're free indeed in you, Lord. Would you go with us today and keep us? In fact, God, I ask that you bless and keep this people and you make your face to shine upon them and be gracious to them in every way. May your favor ever be pointed in their direction and may you grant them your peace. May you use us. May this connection opportunities today in the EPAC community be encouraging and motivating. May we spur one another on to the good things you have for us. And God, when we leave this campus and interact among our world, God, may we be your representative in every way. Keep us well and safe and whole, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you as you go today. Our prayer team members await you. We'll see you at the picnic this afternoon.